Almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity to think deeply about who you are, look through scripture, and we pray that it would not be merely a vain intellectual exercise, but that we would know you, not just um, as facts and figures and scripture verses, but that we would know you personally, relationally, with reverence and awe. We pray that uh, you would renew a, a right heart in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're beginning a new Sunday School series. If you don't have a handout, it's up there in the front by the door. And um, we're going to, the, the series is going to be called None Like Him, which is a refrain that you see in Scripture uh, speaking of God, that there is none like Him. And through this series, we're going to have, it's going to be an extended meditation on who God is. And uh, there's two reasons for this. I'm basically giving you an introduction to the whole series. Um, The first is that I think in so many cases, our knowledge and our understanding of God is very thin and very superficial. Um, And and we have sort of a vague notion of who God is. Um, But that's, we're impoverished by that. We ought to know who is our God, right? What is he like? And then the second second reason I want to do this series is that I think so many of our problems stem from the fact that we don't know God, right? That we're so focused on um, ourselves, our own problems, sort of our narrow perspective. And if we could just get out of ourselves and stand before God and behold him, I think so many things would come into right focus and and um, we would have the right perspective. All right, so uh, we're going to look at what are called the attributes of God and the theologians make a distinction between what are called the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. So let me just write that word down. Does anyone know what the word communicable means? Communicable disease. Yeah. So what's a communicable disease? Transferable. Yes, yeah, transferable. So uh, like so many things in theology, uh, the root is Latin, communicare, which means to share. So uh, communicable attributes are those attributes that God shares with us um, because we are his, we are his, ch- uh, we are his children. We are made in his image. We are the imago dei, right? And that means we are to be like him. And then there are those attributes which are called the incommunicable attributes of God, which he does not share with us. And this is what we're going to focus on through our series. Um, The communicable attributes, I think in many ways, we're going to be addressing through our sermon series, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Because we are to be like Him. But we're going to talk about all those things that make God wholly other than us. And this is what makes for what's called the creator-creature distinction. So God is the creator, and we are the creature. And there is a, there is a gap. There's a gap between God and us, that we, will, that we are not like him, right? That makes him distinct from us. So, we're going to begin with the first of his 
incommunicable attributes, what makes God wholly other than us. And the proper place to begin, I think, is the fact that he is incomprehensible. Uh, which, if you think about it, is a rather strange way to begin a study on God that you cannot comprehend him. Um, but this is what we must really grapple with and realize that we will never know God as he is in himself. Um, the Latin phrase is, as he is in se. Right? In himself. Um, fundamentally, in a deep, essential sense, God will always be a mystery. God will always be incomprehensible to us. God will be always beyond us. And the reason for this is because the gap between the creator and the creature, the gap between God and us, is not just an, a significant or a, a wide yawning chasm. It is an infinite gap. Right? So this gap is infinite. Um, we are finite. Finite just means... We have limits, and God, on the other hand, is infinite. Okay. Uh, let's read the first verse. Uh, Hannah, can you read Psalm 147? Sure. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Yeah. The psalmist says God is beyond measure. His understanding is beyond measure, but this applies to all everything that God is, meaning he is infinite. And the fact that God is infinite is a word that we use, but it's a very abstract word which we have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> right? It's very difficult for the human mind to grasp infiniteness. Because what infinite means, and half of this class will be just an extended meditation on what it means for God to be infinite, right? Um, Infinite means that there is no end, right? You, you cannot measure something without any proportions that cannot be quantified. This is very hard for us to understand, that God is infinite in his wisdom, infinite in his knowledge, infinite in his power, infinite in his greatness, infinite in his love, infinite in his holiness. God is beyond all measure, right? I, it's very hard for us to understand this because we always understand things by quantifying it, right? Um, you know, one way we could think of it is this. We might say, okay, the human mind, um, the intelligence of the human mind is maybe 1% of God's mind. And then we could say, oh, then God is 100 times wiser, greater, smarter than us, right? That we can sort of grasp. We can get that, right? But you cannot do that. Right? One percent, you cannot put any number. You can't say that God's mind is a million times greater than us, or a billion times greater than us, or a trillion times greater than us. In fact, what it means to be infinite is that um, a billion times, a trillion times, any number you assign, it's as if you haven't even begun. Because it is unendingly expansive, his mind. Okay? Um, we're always thinking in terms of scale. We cannot think in terms of 
infiniteness. And because of that, because there is no... If God were just an enormous being, if God was enormously powerful, then maybe we can begin to understand him. But because God is without scale, because this gap is infinite, he is fundamentally, essentially, incomprehensible to us. Okay? Uh, Let's look at Psalm 145. (laughs) Tracy, can I have you read that passage? I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Yeah, if you look at verse 2, it says, I will bless you, I will praise your name forever and ever. So we've all heard this, right? That... um, in the new heavens and the new earth, God's uh, resurrected world, we're going to praise God forever and ever. And, you know, maybe the pious among us says, ooh, this sounds, this sounds good. <laughs> uh, but maybe for the unpious among us, it almost sounds a little bit like drudgery. Like it's going to be this very onerous task. Like forever? You know, maybe a thousand years, right? Um, like aren't we going to run out of praise songs, Right? Are we going to just sing, you know, uh, great is our Lord over and over again, you know, praising? I mean, at, you know, after a thousand years, won't we fatigue, right, of praising God? But this is why, uh, why it will never be drudgery. Why it'll never be sort of same old, same old rote. Because, verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And that word unsearchable I think is evoking an imagery it's a, it's a metaphor imagine coming upon a cave and you're searching it's a new cave undiscovered cave so you want to search through this cave and you get your flashlight your miner's hat and you start exploring the cave and as you go from you know cavern to cavern um, cavity to cavity it begins to dawn on you there is no end to this cave um, or imagine going to a country, an undiscovered country, and you begin to explore it, but there is no end to this country, right? This is what God is like. And that means for all eternity, we will be in his presence, and we will never exhaust learning about God, right? What the resurrected life will be is the new heavens and new earth is that we will be in God's presence. We will learn who he is more deeply than we know now. We will discover him more deeply than we know now. And that discovery will be unending. So that every year, every day, will be stunned brilliance of amazement on our part because we cannot, we cannot believe God is like this. Um, a lot of times when we're stunned or when we're amazed, it's always with, re- with, with a reference point. right? I thought God was like this, but now I realize God is like this. Well, that reference point will always be, because God is infinite, will always be inadequate. So we'll always be like this. I thought God was like this, but my understanding was nothing. Now I realize God is like this. And then the next moment we'll say, I thought God was like this. That was nothing. Now I realize God is like this. And that will be forever. Do you understand? Um, Therefore, uh, Let's turn to Isaiah 40. So, as I said, the human mind cannot grasp infiniteness, right? We have a word for it in English, but we should really throw it away because it's just, 
there's no comprehension, right? So it helps to have scale. And uh, I like this scale. It's fun for me. Um, I uh, uh, On my vacation, um, Christine and I and the kids, we went, on, uh, we went to a science museum, right? And uh, I really like those videos that tell you a sense of the proportions of the dimensions of the universe. So uh, let's do that with Isaiah 40. Um, so <laughs> Warren, can I have you read Isaiah 40? Sure. <clears throat> to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created thee. He who brings out their hosts by number, call them all by name. Right, so let me pause right there. Um, what is host here? Yeah, so uh, the word host is kind of an expansive term. It just means armies. Um, a lot of times when the scripture talks about host, it's talking about angelic hosts, um, angelic armies. But here it's talking about something else. Anything else? Uh, can, can anyone? Uh, verse twenty-six would be the key. That's right. Okay. So when he's talking about the host, he's talking about the stars. Okay. So keep going. Uh, second half of verse twenty-six. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. There's that word again. So, God himself tells us, would you like a sense of my greatness? Would you like a, 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 a taste of it? Look up, look at all the starry hosts Know that I know them all by name. So, cosmology, astronomy, is something that I enjoy and like to think about. So, if you look at the night sky, there's a band in the sky where it's, it's all milky, right? So, that's our galaxy that we're, we inhabit. That's the Milky Way. There's an estimated 100 to 400 billion stars. I, I like how the range is quite large. Um, there's 100 to 400 billion stars and again, the word billion, by the way, in the ancient world, they didn't have a word for billion. In fact, they didn't even have a word for million. Um, this is true in Chinese culture, Indian culture, uh, Roman, Greek culture. The largest number they had, does anyone know, that was like comprehensible enough to be useful? 10,000. 10,000. 10, Anything beyond 10,000, sure, it's possible, but it's like, Countless at that point, right? Um, why do you need something beyond 10,000? <laughs> so we have billion, right? We don't know. Our mind cannot comprehend billion. So by comparison, let's imagine that um, you go to the beach and you pick up a grain of sand. Okay, And imagine that that sand is the size of the sun. And when we say that, we don't even understand the stu stupendous dimensions of the sun, right? The sun, our sun, holds can hold 1.3 million Earths, right? So the sun is enormously large. But let's say, let's reduce it to a grain of sand, okay? Um, think about all the sand on a beach. Now think about all the beaches on Earth across all the continents. That's roughly the equivalent of 100 to 400 billion. So there are that many stars in our Milky Way. 
And that's just our galaxy. It is estimated that there are 100 to 150 billion galaxies in the observable universe. And if we were to use the same dimensions, right, of our star being a grain of sand, the nearest star by, and by the way, you know, we're, we're, we're packing it all together, right? But most of the, uh, uh, most of space is empty, right? The, sp- the, the distances are enormous. The, the, if, if, a, if a star is a grain of sand, the nearest star by the same proportions would be four miles away. And then the nearest galaxy by that same proportion, the Andromeda galaxy, would be 25 million miles away. Again, million is an incomprehensible number to us. It's the distance between us and Mars, which again is incomprehensible to us. <laughs> um, and the observable universe, we use that qualifier because, of course, in order to observe anything, we need light or at least like radio waves to come to us. So we're not actually sure the size of the universe. We're pretty certain it's larger than what we observe, right? Because it just has to do with how much time we've had to for the light to travel to us. So if this is the observable universe, right? Um, and there are 100 to 150 billion galaxies, each with 100, 400 billion stars, it could be that the observable universe is only 10% of the actual universe. It could be it's 1 million, right? So the universe is unimaginably enormous. The human mind cannot comprehend. We can't. We cannot comprehend the dimensions of the universe And what does Isaiah say? God says, look up, look at all the stars. I know them all by name. He knows them each intimately. He created them, right? He observes each solar system with all its planetary orbits, and he knows them. That is our God. And again, to know that God is infinite means what? It means that even that, you cannot say, well, that's like God, you know, 10% of his intellectual activity is being used up. You have not even begun to exhaust the mind of God. Um, Therefore, what does Job say? Fion, can I have you read Job, Job 11? Yes. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? And the answer, of course, is no. And therefore, God will always be a mystery to us. We will spend all of eternity in his presence, knowing him, growing in our love for him, growing in our understanding of him, but he will always be beyond us. Um, We will always feel this infinite gap between our creator and us. I think the natural response, if you um, are listening, (laughs) the natural response is to feel overwhelmed at the greatness of our God. But it's interesting that rather than that greatness being unpleasant, it's a pleasant feeling of awe. Um, So this is a very important word and concept um, awe. And in the Bible, the, the, the phrase you see all the time is the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. Um, the, wor- the fear here is not fear of something evil and malicious, but it's 
um, a trembling awe before something wonderful and powerful and great. Um, imagine uh, standing on the edge of a hurricane, right? And you can feel the power of that hurricane, and you're afraid. Um, but you're not afraid just in the sense that it could pick you up and kill you, but you're afraid in the sense of you, you realize the immensity of its strength. Um, and that's what scripture is inviting us to do, is to stand before God and to fear him, to know that he is God, to be in awe of him, right? And when we come to that place of awe, then we worship him. We ascribe to him his greatness. Romans 11. Andrew, can I have you read it? Yeah. Paul, all the time, you'll see it in his letters, he's thinking about who God is and what God has done. And then he'll just bust out, even as he's writing a letter, this uh, 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 praise and verses of praise. And I want you to know that awe is something that we owe to God. Awe is something that is right. If we don't have awe before God, we are idiots. <laughs> we are in spiritually insane. But I also want you to know that awe is very good for us. Uh, because you know what awe does? Awe decenters us. It draws our attention away from our problems, our self-absorption, and it causes us to focus and think about some, what is beautiful, what is true, and what is majestic. And I want you to know, the Bible says we were created for awe. We were created to know God and to be before him, to worship him. And here we, I, I want to make the distinction between what's called transcendence and eminence. Um, God's eminence is his nearness. And I think, you know, in the church we talk about his eminence all the time. God is our father. He embraces us. He loves us. Uh, Christ is our bridegroom. He loves us with his ravishing love. Um, that's his eminence, that God is near us. But we also need to balance that with the equally true statement of his transcendence. And his transcendence is that God is far, far beyond us, right? That God, the creator-creature uh, gap is infinite. And it's both true simultaneously at the same time. We're thinking about that. I think Jesus beautifully captures it in the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven. So God is our Father. He is near and approachable. And at the same time, he is in heaven. He is far above us in majesty. So, before we press on, before we move on, any questions? All right. Let us forge ahead courageously. <laughs> um, so, since God is incomprehensible, uh, we cannot know him, therefore, without his gracious condescension. It must logically and necessarily be. Because how can we, who are finite creatures, even begin to even have the categories to understand who is our creator? Unless our creator 
has to condescend and reveal himself to us as uh, to his creatures, right? So Deuteronomy 29.29. Harry, can I have you read that? Yeah. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Yeah, it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. What does that mean? It means that there are some things about God. In fact, we would say a great many things about God that we will never know. We will never be able to understand because he is infinite. And they will therefore be secrets to us. But what God has done is he has revealed himself to us um, what he wants to reveal. And so God does not speak to us as a peer. Right? Um, all human beings essentially talk to each other as peers. Of course, there's hierarchies. There's, there's, you know, but, but we speak to each other as fellow human beings. But God does not speak to us in that way. And so because he is infinitely above us, the only way God can communicate with us is he has to crouch down. Right? He has to stoop down like a father stooping down talking to his child. And essentially, the way God talks to us, therefore, is he's talking baby talk. God can never speak to us in say, in himself, as he is. Because it would be incomprehensible. And so he has to, he has to speak the way we speak to little children. I have little children. <laughs> uh, I have a six-year-old and I have a three-year-old. There's a great many questions that my three-year-old and my six-year-old ask me, and I cannot answer them without overwhelming them and confusing them. Um, and so I have to speak to them and translate it in their, in their understanding. Do you see what I'm saying? Even that is not sufficient a metaphor or an analogy to explain what God is doing to us. And therefore, I want you to know that Scripture is God's baby talk to us. It does not mean it's wrong or inaccurate. Just like a father explaining things to his son, he's not lying to his son or deceiving his son. Um, and that analogy is a little bit broken because Harry Wright is true. Uh, sometimes we'll just make up a story, right, to come up with an explanation, right? But, <laughs> but God does not do that to do that to us. But you have to understand that scripture, therefore, is God's accommodation to our uh, uh, finite creatureliness. And just like a child has very limited but real understanding of his parents, so we have limited but real understanding of who God is through scripture. And therefore, because, because God can, we can only know God when God stoops down, we can only know God by grace, only by his gracious condescension. And what this shows us, if you, re, if you understand the biblical doctrine of God, it cannot be that human beings can discover God on their own. It cannot be that, that human beings can seek God and discover and know him without scripture, right? Without the Bible. This shows you the necessity of the Bible, right? We are helpless with, unless God first takes the initiative. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But listen to this verse. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. So let me just pause right there. It's interesting that Paul has to, um, he, 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 he talks about the fact that we know God, but then he immediately sort of pauses and says, actually, here's the reality behind that, which is that you're being known by God. He emphasizes the sort of unidirectional nature 
of our knowledge of God, which is that we cannot know God unless God first reveals himself to us and knows us, right? And therefore, now we understand the second commandment. Because what the second commandment is saying is that we must not imagine God as we like. Um, so Exodus 20, where are we? Jordan, can I have you read it? And Christine, can I have you close the door? You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yeah, so people have always been moderately confused by the second commandment. Isn't the second commandment, which is you shall make no images of me, no likeness of me, isn't it just repeating the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Um, and I think that, to some degree, there is a little bit of redundancy, but uh, the redundancy is, um, is intentional in the sense that God is saying, the first, the first commandment is, put me first. Uh, the second commandment is, put me first. Right, so he's he's emphasizing it, but there is a distinction between the first and second commandment. The first commandment is saying no other gods, but the second commandment is saying, and I don't want you to imagine what I'm like. No images, right? No likeness. Why aren't we supposed to make images of God? Because the second commandment is saying God wants us to wait because of this infinite gap, and He wants us to wait until He reveals Himself to us. And so, therefore, we are to not climb up. See, when you climb up, you're making an image. Right? You're saying, God, this is the way I think you are. Think about the original setting, right? In Exodus, what did the people of God, the Israelites, create as an image of God? Huh? Yeah, the golden calf, right? Now, we modern people look at the golden calf and we sort of scoff, guffaw. Ridiculous, But if you understand the ancient setting, the golden calf was pretty much a really reasonable approximation of what... It's, it's, it's a very flattering image. Because what is, a, what is a yearling calf? A yearling calf, if, you grew, if, you know, if you're in an agricultural society, it's an incredibly valuable animal, right? It's so precious. It's, it's this imagery of this really strong... Uh, uh, animal, and it's not just a calf, it's a golden calf. It's made of pure gold. And you have to understand, so the ancient Israelites were like, God, we're going to honor you. You, I mean, you are like a golden, you're, you're like a calf, you're a golden calf, right? Um, and God says, I understand you're trying to honor me, but in fact, by making an image, you've actually diminished me. Right? You've reduced me. You've shrunk me down because you have no idea what I'm like. You think I'm a golden calf. You're far, far away from the truth. Um, and therefore, what does this tell us? I here want to emphasize to you the importance of therefore of Scripture. How can we know who God is? We need to go and read his revelation to us. His baby talk to us. We need to listen to his voice. Only in Scripture do you see the real God. 
nowhere else. Um, and then ultimately, God has given us an image, not an image that we create, but an image that he has sent to us. Uh, Colossians 1.5. Uh, Nathan, can I have you read it? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Second, second commandment says no images. And then New Testament says he is the image, right? God's perfect revelation is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. The ancient Israelites thought it's a golden calf. And God says, let me give you the real image, the true image, Jesus of Nazareth. And I want you to see the juxtaposition between the golden calf, which is this image of wealth, uh, value, um, strength, and then the, the real image that he gave us, which is Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, there, there's, for us modern people, or even as, um, uh, as uh, long-time Christians, we that it doesn't punch us the way it punched the original hearers. First of all, Nazareth was a nobody town. It was podunk. It's like Bakersfield, right? I apologize <laughs> if anyone here is from Bakersfield. If you're from Bakersfield, it's like it's like um, what's another equivalent? Cool uh, um, it's like Livermore. No, I, I don't want to hurt. That. Um, so so it's like Bakersfield, right? And. And Jesus, right, the name Jesus, uh, which the original Aramaic name is Yeshua, right, um, historians have done name analysis of the first century, which is a very easy thing to do. You know, you know how you do it? You basically get all the inscriptions, all the texts that come from the first century. You just count all the names and then do a statistical model. Number one most popular boy name, Yeshua. Okay, so you have to understand what it would have sounded like to people. Come and meet this man. He is God in the flesh. He's Joe from Bakersfield. Right? You'd be like, <laughs> I think you're mistaken. So when, when God reveals himself to us, he doesn't reveal to himself to us as a golden calf. He reveals himself to us as Joe from Bakersfield. Okay? So who could have imagined such a thing? John chapter 14. Can I show and read that for us? Yeah, Jesus says, you're looking at, when you see me, you're seeing the Father. And so the meekness of Jesus, the humility of Jesus. When Jesus in the upper room in the Last Supper wraps a towel around himself and washes his disciples' feet. You understand? God is saying, you're seeing me. Now you see me. Now you know who I am. Um and, you know, a lot of people get offended at the exclusivity of Christianity. Because what does Christianity say? Christianity says only in Christ can you know God. But I want you to know that the incomprehensibleness of God logically necessitates the incarnation. Because how can we know God unless he reveals himself to us and unless, in fact, he gives us his image that we can see him and know him? Um, it's like the author of a story. The author is writing this grand, beautiful story, and he loves the characters in the story, but can the characters ever know the author? They cannot, unless the author writes himself into that story, because the, the gap between the character and the author is infinite, right? Well, not infinite, but it's, it's enormous. Um, and so that is our relationship to God. So 
before I go to my last, last point, um, any questions there? Yes, Sean. Uh, when you refer to the Exodus passage, mm -hmm. what is the commentary on other denominations of other Christian de denominations? For example, the, the Mormon Jews steeps instead of crosses, mm -hmm. and in, in the Catholic Church, there are uh, images of the very Trinity and other saints. What mm -hmm. is the commentary on that? Yeah, so there's a... There's a, there's, a, there's a long and strenuous debate about uh, what it means to observe the second commandment. Um, I think that uh, uh, there, you can think of it as a spectrum. And I think uh, for a lot of modern Christians, the spectrum is no, uh, no idol statues, right? No golden calf, in other words. Um, I'm more on the side of the other spectrum, which is that I think we are not to, uh, we are not to, I think it's a commandment not to imagine God as we, as we desire, but to, but to trust the scriptural image of God, which is Jesus Christ. I also don't like images of Jesus in general, um, for this very same reason, right? Um, if you know Jesus, if, I mean, if you know the first century context, Jesus is a, First century Middle Eastern Jew, he was probably five foot two, right? Semitic, but the images of Jesus you often see Hollywood Jesus, right? Um, good looking Jesus is he's he's European, right? <laughs> um, he's really tall, um, and so I think it it takes away. I mean, I I understand. You know, it helps us to have props. I actually like uh, the Ben-Hur sensibility. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, but Jesus has an appearance, a cameo in Ben-Hur, um, where he helps Charleston Heston. You only see his hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I like that sensibility. Um, in Sunday, in Children's Church, we're using a children's program called uh, Great Commission Publications. They actually have very strong scruples. You'll never see an image of Jesus in the children's material for that reason. Um, because uh, I always tell Jesus, I mean, I always tell, <laughs> I always tell Judah because we're reading, uh, we're reading comic, we're reading what's called the Action Bible. So there's, of course, pictures of Jesus. But I always tell Judah, this is just the author, the, the artist's imagination about Jesus. But we have no idea what Jesus looks like. But the image of Jesus we have is from Scripture. Think about Scripture, right? And then one day the Bible promises we'll see him face to face. So let's wait. Right, I like when the Roman Catholics venerate the image of Jesus. It feels a little bit like to me, like what if Christina had like a picture of some guy in her wallet, like um, some Gap model or something, right? And she would look at it and she would venerate, like she would say, oh, "I think about Michael," but that's not me. I know it's not you, but I'm thinking about you, right? I'll be like. I feel jealous. Don't look at him. <laughs> right? So I think like when we venerate images of Jesus, it's sort of like that dynamic. I don't know. Do you want to... Can I ask a question? A different question. Yeah. Changing gears. Changing gears. Um, you said that we are unable to know God unless he reveals himself to us. Yes. In scripture. In scripture. However, scripture also talks about how God reveals himself to us through creation. Yes. The skies pour forth speech. Yes. So can, do you, I don't know if you have time, but if you would like to talk about more precisely how we know God through creation, how we know God only through scripture. Right. So, uh, 
creation gives us real knowledge of God. Um, it gives us, as uh, the Isaiah passage evokes, um, when we look at the stars, when you look at the immensity of the universe, you get you begin to get a sense of how great God is, His power, His His um, strength, His wisdom. Um, but ultimately, that picture of Scripture that we get from nature is true, but deeply incomplete and inadequate. Because ultimately, God has revealed Himself in weakness, in humility, in sacrificial love. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, which we only have in Scripture through Christ. So, I don't know if that So it's almost it. like power and majesty. We can see all of it in creation. Yeah. Romans 1. Yeah, we see some so of his attributes. Man is without excuse. But God has all of these attributes in tension. Right? So his love and his holiness are in tension together. Um, both true. Um, his deep, deep humility and meekness, but his great power together in tension. We have that tension only in scripture. We don't get it in Great question. <laughs> All right. Um, you guys didn't see that. <laughs> any, any other questions? All right, let's press on. So I want you to know, right, I'm going to say something a little bit contradictory, which is um, the essence of Christianity is paradox. If you dislike or are uncomfortable with paradox, Christianity is not the right religion for you. <laughs> um, so the paradox of Christianity, one, another paradox is that we can never know God in himself. He's always beyond us and a mystery to us. But at the same time, we can know him. And I want you to know, him, know that therefore, because he is God, because he is so great and high above us, to know him is our ultimate joy. It's to be filled with wonder and stunned gratitude. Let me read to you Hosea chapter 6. This will be our close uh, conclusion to our study. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And the imagery there in Hosea, the, the latter half of that verse, is agricultural nature imagery, which for us modern city-dwelling people, we don't quite appreciate it. But the spring rains was this really delicious event. Because what you what happens is you plant your crops, but you have no idea after the winter, you have no idea, is this year going to be a drought? Is there going to be a famine this year? Is this going to be bad, um, a bad crop because of uh, poor rainfall? And then the spring rains is so refreshing. So, I mean, the image I kind of have is Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> where he crawls out from prison, and then he's letting the rain fall on him, just the exuberance and the joy. And that imagery, God says, that's what it is to know me, right? And it's amazing that we can know him, but we know him through effort. It says, press on to know the Lord. And which means it requires, it requires studiousness, it requires effort, it requires, it requires perseverance and grit. And the promise is joy. Um, Wade is going to preach about joy, so I don't want to steal too much of his thunder. But ultimately, joy is offered to us in knowing God. And 
let me add let me just say this as a closing meditation which is everybody in this room wants to be happy right that's what we're all living for fighting for we want to be happy but the bible tells us true happiness true delight awaits us in scripture and some of you are sort of like slumping in your seat and saying oh but scripture the bible is so hard to read and it's true the bible is not like people magazine right you can't just breezily read it on the toilet it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) it's scripture reading is often dry it's often difficult okay but I want you to know that scripture is like treasure hidden in the ground and you have to get out a shovel you have to excavate you have to put in work but amazing treasure awaits us Um, Psalm 139 how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast, right? How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. Now we know, modern estimates, about 100 to 400 billion grains of sand on earth. I awake and I am still with you. So I want you to know that there is infinite layers and dimensions to who God is. You can never be bored in this life studying scripture. You can never close the book and say, I think I've exhausted the story, right? One of the differences between um, pop fiction and literature, um, like, what would be pop fiction? Pop fiction would be, well, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but anyways, (laughs) most young adult literature is pop fiction, right? Meaning, it's like a fun, breezy read, but you don't necessarily want to read it a second time. But you know what literature is? The difference between that and literature. Literature is, it's actually really hard to read through literature. Because there's densities, there's subtleties, there's complexities. And then, here's the secret to literature. You don't really understand what you just read until you've read it at least a second time. Because you read it a second time, now you're seeing all these layers, all these foreshadowings, all these character themes playing itself out. The, 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 The definition of literature is that it bears multiple readings. I want you to know the Bible is the greatest piece of literature in all reality. It doesn't just bear multiple readings. You can read it and read it and read it and read it again and again. And each time you're seeing things that you didn't see before. It's this undiscovered country. It's this beautiful, amazing cave that you're constantly discovering. New caverns, new caverns, new dimensions. And so I want to encourage you to begin now. Um, and I want I want you to have this vision that one day we will be with God in His in His new resurrected world, and we will discover God and and grow and, and learn about God forever and ever and ever. And our praise will be resounding. It won't be drudgery praise. It'll be spontaneous, erupting praise because we're in stunned awe. Let's pray. Almighty God, we have just a small small vision a small taste of who you are, your grandeur, your majesty, your greatness. Lord, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you that we can even know you. We thank you that we're not left blind um, in the pit, mired in the pit, but you've brought us up. You've, you've, you've put us on your lap. You, you invite us into a relationship with you. We pray that we would never take that for granted that we would never dismiss it and be bored of it. And we repent that we're so captivated by other things in this life 
that we put you very low down in our priority. We pray that you would have the preeminence in our hearts, that you would have the highest priority in our thoughts and in our minds, and we would eagerly seek you out. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Next week, the self-existence of God. That will blow your mind.